Pray with me one more time, and then we're going to dive into the book of Titus today. And so if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn with me to the New Testament book of Titus. And we're going to spend the next nine weeks in in Titus, um, and we're going to start with chapter 1, verses 1 to 4 today, this kind of opening greeting in the book of Titus. Let me pray, and then we'll dive into our text. Father God, thank you for uh, just the the joy of getting to be with God's people. Uh, You call us to this, and Lord, even... Uh, maybe in our flesh when we don't want to be here. We always, we confess, Lord, that we always walk away grateful that we came to be encouraged uh, with the saints and to hear from you through the word and to respond in worship. Lord, we, we need this rhythm. And Lord, as we step into this book that is about doctrine, but, but transformative doctrine and how it transforms us, Father, I pray that uh, we would not run from this book, that if there is something that you are speaking to us as a result of, uh, of these verses, Lord, I pray, Father, that we wouldn't run from it, that we would hear it. That as your spirit is moving, that, that we would yield to your spirit. So, Spirit, come and, and do that work that, that only you can do of, of giving us eyes to see, of giving us faith where we lack, of giving us conviction when we need it, of giving us encouragement when we're discouraged. Spirit, come and do your work. Finally, Lord, I pray that I would not say anything out of step with your will or your word, but I would simply hide behind the cross. It's in Jesus' name we'll pray. Amen. Well, Pastor Brian was surprised that uh, his son's school was calling him. His his son's school had never called him, and so he was surprised, and, and frankly, he was worried that maybe something bad had happened, so he quickly picked up the phone, and the principal said that his son was caught with a group of other boys looking at some things online that they shouldn't have been looking at. So the principal was calling to say, your son is suspended. Initially, Pastor Brian was angry about his son's sin. He, if he was honest, he was worried about his reputation. How would this affect people's view of his family? How would it affect his position at the church? What would the elders think? However, by the time he got home, he was in a better headspace, a better heart space, and he was really prepared to faithfully shepherd his son. And, and here's what he did. He, he met alone with his son, and they talked. And, and the, the boy, by God's grace, and I think of an example of his character and maturity, he confessed his sin to his dad. He admitted his role and everything. And then the dad challenged his son with this. He said, let's consider this situation an opportunity to confess to each other that because we're all men, such things appeal to us, even though they can damage us. And let's keep challenging one another to grow in godliness in order to experience the goodness God wants for us. Most of all, though, I want you to know that even when you have failed the Lord, you can ask His forgiveness because He loves you more than because He loves you even more than I do. How does your doctrine inform your deeds? In other words, how does the gospel change your life? And further, how do you then use that transformative gospel to, to drive how you disciple the next generation? When I was growing up, I, I commonly heard the phrase that doctrine divides. And that was said a lot in churches in those days. And listen, at its best, that phrase was about saying, listen, we, don't want, we want to avoid kind of divisive, doctrinal, you know, theological debates that are just maybe over minutia, maybe they're open-handed issues. We, we just want to avoid division in the church. At its best, I think that's what that phrase was about. But at its worst, it created a culture in churches that really devalued doctrine. 
And we need to be clear as we step into this book that Redeemer Church is, is fundamentally and categorically different than the Oakmont Country Club or, or the local United Way. There's a, a theological, doctrinal underpinning for why we exist, why we do what we do, why we're even here today. In other words, without our doctrine, we shouldn't exist at all. But, but like Paul and, and Titus, we need to challenge ourselves and others to believe good doctrine to the extent that it leads to good deeds. You see, there's so many examples in the Bible, and you maybe even are thinking about churches or people today that maybe are like the, the Pharisees or the Judaizers or what we're going to see in this study, the, the Cretan false teachers, who, who their, their doctrine has not led to godliness. And, and that's really the purpose of doctrine is it's to lead to godliness. It's to lead to, to good deeds. And when it doesn't do that, there's, there's usually a couple of things going on there. First off, it could be that people don't truly believe it, meaning they're not letting it transform who they are. Or it could mean that they're believing and advancing false doctrines. And we know that that not only leads to soul decay, but it also leads to eternal damnation. So doctrine matters. But good doctrine should lead to good deeds. That's why Titus is so important. That's why this book really matters, because it teaches us about doctrine and where doctrine is supposed to lead us. If you're looking for a theme of the book, it's be devoted to good doctrine and good deeds. So this book is to a minister about ministry. So it's going to talk about elders and how churches ought to be structured. And so we're going to spend some time kind of putting our elders in the dock, if you will, like, like saying, okay, this is what elders are supposed to be about. This is what they're supposed to be doing. This is supposed to be who they are. But, but the book is, is really for everybody because after talking about church leaders, he then talks about different groups in the church. He's going to talk about older women and younger women and older men and younger men. And then he's going to kind of get into the workforce. He's going to talk about servants and he's going to talk about slaves. And because of our histories, uh, our country's history with racism and slavery, we're going to kind of have to slow down and do some work on those passages. But, but in the end, the book of Titus, it's going to charge us to godly living or to, God, or to good deeds. But today as we open Titus 1, 1 to 4, this is just the opening greeting to the book. And many times people rush past these type of greetings, but I don't want us to, to rush past it today. For primarily because what I think is the theme verse of the entire book is this first, is this first verse. So there's going to be kind of three movements today. We're going to, we want to talk about believe in the truth of the gospel, then we want to live according to the gospel, and then we want to disciple others according to the gospel. First off, believe the truth of the gospel. Follow along as I read Titus 1, 1 to 4. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began, and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. To Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace, from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Savior. This book of Titus, it opens with this call to believe the truth of the gospel. However, really where Paul begins is he, he talks about his own identity. His own identity, as he says here, is a servant of God. And then he parallels that with his office, which is an, an, an apostle of Jesus Christ. 
So in the, at the essence of his being, the core of who he is, he views himself as a servant of God, one who obeys and follows God. And then his, his purpose, his office, the thing that he's supposed to be living out is he is to be an apostle. He, he's a messenger who has a message. And before we kind of fully unpack what that means, I want you to see a parallel in those two statements, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. What's going on there is a servant of God, that's his essence, apostle of Jesus Christ, that's his office. But Jesus Christ and God are synonymous there. This is just one of these examples in the Bible where we see uh, that Jesus is God. This is a, a case for, if you will, the, the, the divinity of Jesus. So if you're looking for passages in the Bible, if you hear somebody say, well, the Bible doesn't really say that Jesus was God, this is an example of where it does. But, but what, it's, what he's doing there and making that parallel is he's giving weight to the authority about, about what he's about to say. He's saying, listen, I'm an apostle. I have a message. And this message comes from Jesus himself. And you want to know who Jesus is? Jesus is God. So, so there's an authority or an, a weight, a significance about the message that he's about to share. Again, Paul's a, a messenger. He's an apostle. And he has this message. But he's a messenger who belongs to Jesus Christ. He's Jesus's apostle. Therefore, Paul's message is really not his message. It's Jesus's message. And who's Jesus? Jesus is God. And further, this means that Jesus is the one who's called him to this apostolic ministry. So again, there's real divine authority behind this letter. And further, Jesus is empowering this letter. The things that that Paul said in his ministry, the the words that he's writing here, they're empowered by Jesus. In other words, life happens from Jesus as a result of these words. These are are life-giving words. They lead to abundant life. They lead to eternal life because Jesus is empowering them. The purpose of Paul's apostolic ministry was to strengthen the faith of God's people. That's the purpose of writing this. And, And his focus of this letter in his ministry is God's people. He, he wanted them to increase their faith. His goal for them was to help them to trust God even more. He wanted them to grow and mature in their trust of God as God's people. But who are God's people? Well, what he says here is Paul calls God's people God's elect. That, that, that's how he describes God's people. That's who they are. They're, they're God's elect. And what that means is, is that God's people are the ones that God has chosen. When you read about God's elect in the Bible, it's about God choosing the people, setting them apart from the world. So what's behind that is that God is the one who has reached down and saved these people. So if you're part of God's people, you're part of God's elect, which means that God is the one who's reached down and saved you. You haven't saved yourself. He's the one who has saved you. And listen, that's good news, right? Because if you're the one doing the good works and reaching up to Him, and it's up, up to you and your choice, then, then that means that when you fail, maybe you lose all that. But if God is the one who's done the good work, he's the one who's accomplished your salvation. He's the one that has reached down and pulled you up. You can't out his grace. This is good news that you're God's elect. But we need to be careful here. Being God's elect, it's more than about praise and less about pride, right? Like, like It's prideful if you're the one that chose God. And when you look around at everybody else, well, they just need to choose God and be better. There's a pride in that. But, but there's praise if you realize, listen, I'm a sinner saved by grace. I don't, I don't deserve to be in this purple building right now. Okay, God, is just, God has just reached down and changed me. There, there's praise that comes from that. There's not pride that comes from that. 
Again, Paul's an, an apostle. He's a messenger. The focus of his apostolic ministry is on God's elect and more specifically on their faith. In other words, the book of Titus is written to strengthen our faith, but how? How does he strengthen our faith here? The, the messenger strengthens God's elect by educating them on the message. That's the how. That, that's how he's going to go about this. The, the phrase that he uses here is knowledge of the truth. So Paul's method, if you will, is to increase, clarify, expand, improve your knowledge of the truth. That's how, that's how he's going to help you do good works. That's how he's going to help you look increasingly like God. So Paul wouldn't embrace this idea of doctrine divides. What he's saying here is, listen, I want you to know more truth. Because when you know more truth, that's going to increase your godliness. His goal is to give you more truth. However, the thrust of this letter, this knowledge, this knowledge that he's talking about, it's not primarily theoretical or speculative. You see, it's, it's primarily functional and practical. You see, this, this knowledge, it was according to or in line with godliness. It was meant to lead to godliness. Again, good doctrine should lead to good deeds. So Titus is not about theological minutia. Titus is not about silly debates. It's about God's people being sanctified and being transformed by the gospel. As we learn new knowledge, it means we become increasingly like Jesus. That's the end of this. That's the purpose of this. The end of it is to be transformed. So for Paul, doctrine was about discipleship. Good doctrine should lead to good deeds. Listen, if you're an educator, you kind of understand this type of education, right? Like if you're a teacher or a principal, you know that the goal of your lesson is not just to fill them with more head knowledge that they can't use, right? Like we, we have uh, in our education systems all these, and it's, you know, different names at different times, right? But like essentially you, you've got these uh, defined outcomes. You've got maybe a main idea of your lesson. You've got an outline to it. You've got these goals to your lesson. You want them to know certain things, but, but, but you want them to really understand it, meaning you want it to play out in their life. Like, like think about how you would educate a mechanic or a surgeon. Like neither one of those jobs can education stay theoretical, Right? Like, you have the mechanic, and he makes 100 on his exam, but he can't fix a car. Like, what use is the education, right? A surgeon, if she gets, like, 100 on all her multiple-choice tests, but she can't put a stent in, like, the education has failed, right? But Like, it's got to lead to these practical ends, and that's what Paul is talking about. He was educating them with, quote, the knowledge of truth in order to develop them in their, quote, godliness. That's the end. He, he wants you to live a holy, Christ-like life. That's where he's trying to take you. But ultimately, this good doctrine leads to hope. This is one of the, the outcomes of this, is as you know more, it should make you more hopeful. Hope is present optimism based upon what you believe about the future. When you believe you have a good future, you can face the challenges of today with hope, right? Listen, hopeful people are happy people, right? So, so as, we, as we know more, as we grow in our knowledge of the truth, we become more hopeful. We become more happy. We, we have a, a sense of our eternity. We're going to see how great it is in eternity, and we compare it to today, and, and we can weather the challenges of today because we compare them with the glory that is to come. That, that's a result of knowing more, having increasing knowledge. Increasing knowledge leads to increasing hope. But, but I want to make one other comment about this because he, he has a phrase that, where he says God never lies. 
What he's saying there is that Paul is, is not talking about pie in the sky or empty promises or, or blind faith or even foolish speculation. He's saying, listen, you can have real hope. You can live your life this way. You can be transformed by the gospel because the gospel is a promise that is guaranteed. You say, well, guaranteed on what? It's guaranteed on the word of God. What's the word of God? It's this thing that is breathed out by God. It's guaranteed on God himself. And what does he say about God? God never lies. So you can live this way. You can believe this and let it transform you because God never lies. This isn't pie-in-the-sky speculation. This isn't empty promises or, or, or blind faith. It's based upon God and God's word and God's person. And thus, it's true truth. It's guaranteed. It's true truth. He promised it. Therefore, we can confidently accept it as a guarantee. So this message, these glorious gospel truths, that faith in Jesus' work on the cross, of salvation by grace alone, increasing knowledge of this good doctrine and then all that leading to increased hope and happiness as well as all that being a guarantee of the promise of God all of that is just what Paul describes here as kind of a summary of his preaching this is a summary of his preaching ministry here and really he says all this for Titus's benefit so he's saying all these glorious gospel truths they're supposed to be a summary Titus of your preaching ministry Don't run from doctrine. Push deeper into these glorious gospel truths so that you can see people's lives change. This is the glorious gospel. So as a result of all of that, I think this opening charge here is to believe the truth of the gospel. Believe this. God doesn't lie. Believe this. Well, to believe something, I think there's kind of two parts to that, right? If you're going to believe something, you have to first understand it. So this is a call to understand the truth of the gospel. He wants you to increase your knowledge of the truth. So, so understand the gospel. And when Paul was telling Titus, and what God is telling us this morning, is that in order to have the hope of eternal life, we have to understand things like faith and the cross and grace and grace alone. But, but I want you to be encouraged today if, if all this maybe seems difficult to understand. Your understanding of all these things is, is a journey. This is your life's journey. You're never going to completely understand all this. You're never going to fully arrive, okay? You're going to spend the rest of your life growing in all of these areas. Can I give you a practical example of what this looks like, even in the lives of our leaders? Um, currently, right now, our, our leaders, uh, our elders are developing an elder affirmation of faith. And it has a lot of articles. It's deep. You know, we're, we're line by line talking through it. And after each of our meetings, we try to take one or two of these articles. We push deep into them. And after each of our meetings, something kind of pops up, then we discuss it further. Listen, these are, these are the leaders of your church. These are godly men, and, and they're exploring these things. Well, you know what? What do we really believe on this? And they're reading extra articles and reading some books, trying to determine what all this means. And, and listen, they're putting real work into that. It takes time. It takes energy. It, it, it takes work to understand these things. But they're doing it because they believe when they increase in their knowledge of the truth, they know God better. They're going to increase in godliness, but also they're going to be better ministers to you. They're going to be able to serve you and shepherd you better as they understand some of these issues. What do you need to do in your life right now to better understand doctrine? But again, don't, don't get lost with that in the sense of, of, of thinking that this is somehow minutiae. Again, the point of Titus 
is for you uh, is for you to understand so that you can be transformed by your understanding. If you're going to believe the gospel, you need to understand it, but to the degree that you're transformed by it. Good deeds begin with good perspectives. You see, faith in Jesus' work on the cross, it produces a hope that can't be shaken. So through Jesus' gracious work on the cross, God has taken off the, off the table the, the worst possible future scenario for you. And He's replaced it with the best possible future scenario for you. And as a result, no matter what challenge you face, you can walk in hope. God has good things for you in the future. You, you, can, you can face this life with a hopeful perspective. What, what's causing you to be discouraged and depressed these days? In the face of those challenges, how do you need to hope in Jesus' gospel of grace? And further, how do you need to believe the truth of the gospel to the degree that it changes your perspective? Okay. Paul was an apostle in an apostolic ministry. He's a messenger with a message. His ministry is to God's elect in order to mature their faith. His message gave them uh, this greater knowledge of the truth. And the purpose of that knowledge of the truth was to increase their godliness. And as their understanding matured, their faith matured, and, and then they gained this hope of eternal life. And all of that was the summary of Paul's preaching ministry. These were to be the marks of Titus's ministry. That's why he wrote this letter. He, he, he wanted these to be the marks of, of his disciples' ministry. These should be the marks, I think, of every church leader's ministry. And this is why God has given you leaders. Therefore, believe the truth of the gospel. Understand it. Be transformed by it. And, and let that doctrine, that good doctrine, lead to good deeds. The second point on your bulletin is to live according to the gospel. Look, at, look again at verse 1. Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness. Now, I recognize we've already touched on this point, but I want to chase it just a little bit deeper. Not only are we to believe the gospel, but we're to live according to the gospel. Be devoted to good doctrine and good deeds. Again, Paul's preaching and teaching, it was about helping them understand the truth which accords to godliness. Uh, the New Testament scholar Griffin says that saving faith that opens one's eyes to the knowledge of the truth should result in transformed life characterized by godliness. The, the Greek term here for godliness, eusebia, it means godlike or godly living or good deeds. In other words, understanding and believing the gospel, it's meant to lead to a life according to the gospel. Understanding the gospel is meant to lead to godliness and into good deeds. Ephesians 4.1, walk in a manner worthy of your calling. So how are you living according to the gospel? Do the words that come out of your mouth, do they reflect what you believe with your head and your heart? How does your doctrine inform what you watch on TV? You, you say you believe the gospel, but your life incre is your life increasingly looking like Jesus? Or, or is it this kind of cheap faith that doesn't really transform. It's your life increasingly looking like Jesus. And, and hear me, if you're uncomfortable with like this talk about election and predestination and choosing, Jesus spoke about that too, okay? This isn't just Paul. Jesus, Jesus talked about this. And, and in John 15, 16, he says, but before I read it, notice the end. 
Notice the end of choosing, the, the, the purpose of the choosing here for Jesus. Jesus says in John 15, 16, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. That's the end. That, that's the purpose of becoming God's people. He's elected you. He's saved you. He's brought you into his family to bear good fruit. The gospel produces godliness. And if it isn't, then we're doing it wrong. That's God's intended end for it. How do you need to live more faithfully according to the gospel? And hear me, friends, be encouraged if something comes to mind. Let me ask that question again. How do you need to live more faithfully according to the gospel? And if something just popped into your mind, be encouraged that it did. I'm going to tell you what to do with it in a second. But just be encouraged that it did. But if you're sitting here and nothing popped into your mind, you need to run scared right now. Like, like if you're the guy that says, yeah, yeah, I'm good. I, 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 I've got it all. I've got it all figured out. You need to run scared right now. Because that's a sign either that you're really spiritually dense or that you need to do an honest heart check. But, but if, if something does come to mind, there's something really good about that because you're, you're sensitive to how the Lord is leading you. And in that moment, repent of it. Change. Mature in your understanding and growing in godliness. And listen, if you live to 100, you're going to still need to be growing in godliness. If you get to 100, there are still going to be things that if you were to ask that question, you're going to say, man, I need to... I need to say this differently, or I need to have this renewed perspective on this situation. Even if you get to that age, you're still going to be growing, so don't be crushed by the question. When I heard that question over the years, especially when I was younger, I was just crushed by it, because there were these things that kept popping. Why, why can't I ever get there? Why, can I, why, can I, why am I still struggling with this? Don't get crushed by the question. View the question as a pathway to life and to spiritual growth. And remember, living according to the gospel, it's meant to give you greater hope. So, so when you ask that question and those things come to mind, when you understand the gospel, you understand that, that God in His steadfast love, in His covenant promises, He's going to remain with you there. Like, He's going to remain faithful even when you're not faithful. Isn't that good news? Like, you don't have to pretend that you don't have something going on. Like, God knows. But God is there to meet you there. He's there to love you there. He's there to walk with you there. He's there to convict you and to renew you and then empower you to faithfulness. So walk in hope today. And if you need to do some heart work this week, don't run from it. Run to Him in it. Titus 1, 1 1-4 calls each and every one of us to live according to the gospel. All of us will walk out of here today needing to apply or reapply the gospel in some area of our life. However, do it with hope, knowing that he's with you and that he's for you in it. Again, good doctrine leads to good deeds. Dan Doriani's a Christian counselor, and he says, knowledge of God's truth changes our lives and leads us into personal holiness. Are you growing in godliness? How is, how is the gospel transforming you? Live according to the gospel. But we're not to keep these doctrines to ourselves. The, the third point on your outline is, Disciple others in the gospel. Look again at verse 4. To Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Savior. Paul is teaching us that we are to be devoted to good doctrine and to good deeds 
But that's meant to be a charge to disciple others in the gospel. It's not meant to be just something that you just hold on to for yourself. It's meant to be something that you give away. That's the point of this. You're not just to embrace good doctrine for you and yours, and just focus on yourself and you being transformed. You are to be transformed, and then you're to give it away. You're to give away the gospel. Listen, Paul's opening greeting is to a person. This book is named after a person. Titus was a real person that Paul was discipling. He was pouring his life into him. And this letter is an extension of that discipleship ministry. He's giving this stuff away to someone. These opening verses, they're a call to believe that good doctrine leads to good deeds. But then they're a call to believe the gospel and live the gospel. But the end of it is, is to minister to others, to make disciples by sharing the gospel. Friends, who are you discipling? Who are you pouring into? As if you're a parent today, that begins at home. Okay, If God has blessed you with children, and, and no matter what age they are, maybe they're even out of the house. Maybe you have grandchildren now. But listen, that begins in the home. That begins uh, w- with your family. Your discipleship ministry begins with your children. But, but I want to challenge you something with something else. Faithfulness, it, it doesn't stop at just shepherding your children. If all you're doing is discipling your children, and it doesn't extend to anyone else, I think you're off on something. Like, like you might be struggling with kind of a self-absorption, okay? Discipleship is meant to start in the home but expand out of the home as well. Friends, over and over again, we're going to see this charge to be devoted to good doctrine and good deeds. But Titus is an outward-focused book. It's an other-focused letter. It's meant to be shared with other people. Individually, yes, we're to devote ourselves to good doctrine. We're to devote ourselves to being transformed by the gospel. But then we're to share it with others. We're we're to make disciples. The end is to influence others with the gospel. Again, who are you discipling and who are you pouring into? Let me land with grace and peace. Again, verse 4 says to Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father, In Christ Jesus, our Savior. Grace and peace, brothers and sisters. That's the gospel. The gospel is that God gives you grace and that God gives you peace. We're to believe it, we're to live it, and then we're to share it. Believe it today. Believe that He gives you grace. Believe that He is giving you grace instead of what you deserve. You deserve justice. You deserve damnation. All of us do. That's not what He gives us. He gives us mercy. He gives us grace. He gives us a good gift that we don't deserve. You know what that leads to? It leads to peace, doesn't it? He gives us peace. Hear me. He's not your enemy. He, he is a, he's a loving Father. He's an eternal friend. How do you need to believe in His grace and peace today? And, that, and I think that question's important because that leads to how we're living today, right? Like, how do you... How do you need to apply the gospel of grace to how you view yourself, how you view others, and how you view God? Like all of that impacts it, right? Like do you need to extend grace? Uh, do you need to extend grace to yourself in order to experience His peace? Do you need to extend grace to someone else in order to experience peace yourself and peace with God and peace with them? But but also, do you need to accept God's grace in order to be at peace with Him? But also share it today. God has you here for a reason. I obviously don't know all the reasons why you're here. There's no way for me to know that. But, but I, I, I'm confident 
that, that God has you here for you to hear this message of grace and peace and then for you to go share it. Without a doubt, I know that that's why he's brought you in this room today. There are people in your life that you need to share it with. Sharing is in of itself is a good deed and godliness includes discipleship. So who's your Titus? Um, years ago, I spent a summer in West Texas and I was serving on this little team and we were sharing the gospel. We would go to, to different churches in different towns and we would do little revival services and little uh, Bible clubs with kids. And, and we spent a, a week in Canyon. And I don't know if you know Canyon, Texas, outside of Amarillo. Honestly, I, I didn't know it. And I think I'd been to the Paldera Canyon and seen the Texas show, okay? And, and there's a college there in this town that I never, and I never heard of the college. West Texas A&M. Do you know West Texas A&M? They called it WT. When I grew up, WT meant something different, but I, I didn't know anything about it, okay? It's a small college. It's, it's a good school, okay? Like, it's not as big as UNT or, or TWU. Their mascot's the buffalo, so that's got to be good, right? I mean, next to the labradoodle, it's the best animal. Something's going on there. So I went to WT, and, and I just, you know, I, we, we spent a night there, and, and we got invited to this guy's house, okay? And this guy, this guy named Buddy, and I, and I I kind of stumbled upon Buddy, and the really neat thing was is I, I stumbled on one of the great disciple makers I've ever seen in, 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 in uh, all these years. And so Buddy and his wife invited my team over for dinner, and as we're getting up there, he goes, oh, yeah, and I've also invited to dinner all the actors and singers who are performing in the, in the Texas musical. So there we were, these, these actors who'd come in, this little mission team had come in, and, and we went over to dinner at Buddy's house. Buddy led a a college ministry at, at this uh, college. And so we're all there, and it's, it's an eclectic group. It was a weird night. We had a lot of fun. We laughed a lot. You know, we, we talked about all sorts of, of crazy things. We, uh, you know, we, we just kind of talked about the important stuff, the deep conversation, the deep things. And listen, it, it was the closest I think I've ever been to a Matthew party. Do you know what a Matthew party is? You remember when Jesus calls Matthew the tax collector to be his disciple? Matthew invites him over to all his like nefarious friends and all the tax collectors and sinners. And Jesus goes in. They have a great night. He shares the gospel with them, and Jesus ministers to them. And, and as I sat there that night, I, I watched Buddy kind of work the room. He kind of went around to everybody, talking to everybody, getting to know everybody, sharing different things with them. And, and that night left such an impression on me. But Buddy was such an inspiration to me. And, and as we walked out, he, you know, he, he shared different prayer requests. And he kind of went through the room and talking about who people were and where they were from and what they were doing and where they were going and what they were about and the ways they struggled and the way he was praying for them and the way he was trying to share the gospel with them for them to hear. And he was just faithfully ministering to them. It was such an inspiring night. About 25 years later, I'm at this, this big pastor's conference. I mean, thousands of people. And, and I look over and I'm like, I think that's Buddy walking by. And I called out to him, hey, are you buddy? Yeah, and he acted like he knew me. I knew he didn't know me. But, but we, we got talking a little bit, and he kind of recalled us coming through. And, and what was so neat about the conversation, he wanted to know what I was doing. I told him about Redeemer Church, and, you know, we're trying to plant churches, and I've done some church planting. We got talking about church planting. And he goes, oh, okay, you're up in Denton? Yeah, I'm up in He goes, I, I know a guy up in, in Denton. And, and I said, well, who is, oh, you know, I know him. I, I, I had kind of a connection to him. And he goes, man, that guy ought to plant a church. I said, okay. I said, man, I'd love to help you. He goes, listen, here's his number. I want you to call him. He needs to plant a church. That guy is so gifted. He's so great on our mission trips. He shares the gospel. He's so faithful. Here Buddy was 25 years later doing the exact same thing 
that he was years ago. Just investing in his little Tituses. These little guys that God had, brought, God had brought into his life, he was just loving on them, ministering to him, equipping them for ministry, encouraging them to go out in faithfulness. He was doing the exact same thing. Who's your Titus? You don't have to be an expert. You don't have to have all the answers. You, you don't have to be the most gifted person in the room. But you do need to be faithful. God's calling you to faithfulness in this area. Who's your Titus? Who are you investing in? Who, 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 are, who are you pushing into greater ministry? Who, who are you trying to lead to greater faithfulness to the Lord? Listen, this book is about believing the truth of the gospel. Titus is about living the truth of the gospel, and it's about sharing the truth of the gospel. So who is your Titus? Be devoted to good doctrine. Be devoted to good deeds. Believe it. Live it. Share it. But go find your Titus to share it with. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, I'm so delighted to get to start this book. And it's rich and deep, but it's practical and it's challenging. It's all of it. Lord, I I pray that we would be faithful to, to do the work of understanding good doctrine. But it wouldn't stay in this speculative place. But that we would let it transform us, transform our thinking transform our feelings and our hearts, transform how we live our lives. Lord, do a good work in this study of just transforming us. Lord, as we uh, go from here, I I pray, Father, that um, this good deeds and and, and good doctrine, that that wouldn't be something that we just hold on to ourselves, that we would use it to invest in the next generation. Lord, help us to find our Tituses in life. Help us to invest in the next generation. And finally, Lord, may we be a godly people. May we be marked by separation, by difference from the world. May may we live holy lives. May we look different from those around us. It's in Jesus' name we pray.